0: Welcome in, Rose City, to the Soccer Made in Portland podcast. The Portland Thorns are the 2022 NWSL champions. 2-0 win over the Kansas City Current last Saturday. Huge moment for the club, its third championship, the most in NWSL history in the 10-year history of the NWSL. Uh, And and really a, a capper for what was a really historic season for the Portland Thorns, and one where they... As players and coaches had to overcome a lot of outside distraction with the off-field challenges that the club faced and they capped it with a championship a really defining moment for what could be a really dominant era for for the Portland Thorns uh Chris you and I were both there uh you were in the stands I was up in a, a bit of a cramped press box <laughs> at Audi Field, uh, jammed in there with with a really, to, to say that it was cramped, I think is a good thing because there was a, a whole bunch yeah. of national media and everybody else out there covering that, that game. Uh, most watched game in NWSL history, nearly a million viewers, uh, really ahead of schedule as far as the growth of the league in its 10th year. Um, so So reflecting on that, that game that moment for MVP Sophia Smith to to get the first goal uh then a little bit of a, a own goal situation to to make it 2-0 later on but big mistake by the current but created by Yasmeen Ryan um yeah create it, it was a forced yeah, mistake yeah forced mistake overall thoughts though i mean on, on that match and and the moment
1: um i i think there's a lot about this Thorne season that is really extraordinary uh but nothing surpasses what this team has done and what this team has overcome in the last four or five weeks. Frankly, I think that's 30 for 30 kind of stuff. Uh The, what they've done, I mean, to, to take an on field punch, like they took in that draw at Gotham in which they, they let, and I think let is the right verb. um Let the shield slip through their fingers to immediately following that week. Having the Sally Yates report drop, which if the, if you know, that, that, that draw at Gotham was a big emotional blow. I mean, this was an emotional, you know, nuclear bomb and to be able to collect themselves to come together as a team to put in two really impressive performances in the playoffs One against a San Diego Wave team that I thought was playing extremely well to get a dramatic winner in that game in a difficult game against a really good opponent. To get a dramatic winner uh, at the death from Crystal Dunn, uh, who five months (laughs) earlier uh, was giving birth to her first son, her first child. Uh, And then to come to this championship game in Washington, D.C. on a neutral field against uh, a KC a current team that had been, had been, nothing if not plucky over the course uh, of the season and when just inevitably
0: they were by far the best team on the field. And it, yeah,
1: that's the only way I can describe the game after, after Sof one scored that opening goal. Everything just felt inevitable. There was, there was one team on the field that was going to win that game. And that kind of dominant performance in a final is frankly not something you see very often. Uh, and, and and so that whole course of events over the course of that five weeks, I think speaks to the historic character of this team. And, and I mean, historic character in terms of the, the character of the people uh, on the team, I think is, is historically unusual. Yeah. And, And so, you know, I mean, I, I, to some, to some extent I, I, you know, I look for parallels, uh, in sort of the sporting universe. I don't have a lot. I, I mean, what they have done over the course of the last five weeks is something that I'm not sure I've seen to, to overcome the adversity that they've overcome to do then what they did. Uh, I, I'm not sure I've seen anything like it. And, and that just speaks to, uh, the remarkable, professionals and people and athletes that these women yes. are and 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 they are champions in every imaginable sense yeah, their
0: the their mental fortitude to get through this is is nothing short of outstanding it's something that um i i have observed over the last couple of weeks and and rian wilkinson even said you know they would have been within their rights to just completely collapse to allow this to be a major distraction and it it could have affected their play but it says so much about the character of these women uh, in this club that they have, have been able to fight through this, something that is totally out of their control and not allow it to impact their play on the field. And, and they achieved what they wanted to achieve. They by no means ignored the issues at play. They didn't you know, push it aside. They didn't say, we don't care about this. We're just soccer players. They said, our job is to play soccer, Yes. But right now, there's, there's an undue amount of pressure being put on us to, to speak for issues that, that are beyond our control. That, that was their perspective. And for them to come together, I, th- I think, is an example of, of not only the, the entire team's character, but what veteran leadership they had. To, to be able to bring this group together. You talk about people like Becky Sauerbrunn, Megan Klingenberg, probably being the leader of that. And this team found joy. They they found joy in the face of unprecedented adversity and stress and trauma from this season. And they came out of it with a championship. And, and you know, all sports teams, when they, when they win a title, there's this joy, there's this elation, there's this relief that – all of your hard work paid off and never in, in my time watching sports and covering sports. Have I seen a team so overwhelmed with that emotion of joy as I, as I did on the field on Saturday in Washington, DC, it just hugs, crying embraces just unbridled joy, being able to, to push everything that they had been through out of the way. And, Revel in the moment that they undoubtedly earned. I, I think that this is a team that, you know, made history through this. I think this is a team that could have documentaries and books done about them. And and this is really like an unbelievable season for, for this Thorns team. And I, I was so impressed by the character of this group from top to bottom. And, you know, this is a Rean Wilkinson Stan podcast. Uh, yeah, right. and you're the you're the uh, one of the self appointed leaders of that that standum. Um, uh, I I
1: saw some folks uh, writing articles where they were joining the fan club. Uh, or, uh, after winning the title, there were a couple of folks saying, "Hey, you know, maybe maybe she should have been a candidate for coach yeah, of Sophia the year." Smith. And I was
0: like, y- "You're gosh darn right, yes, it was you're gosh darn right." And Sophia Smith used words a little more uh, extreme than gosh darn to to indicate her displeasure with and not being a, a nominee for. Coach of the year, uh, loved that post game press conference from from Soph and Bella. By yeah. the way, that was just outstanding stuff. Really, um, them being their full honest selves, even if it might have been a you know a few Budweisers in, uh, it, it was a tremendous uh, moment. And I think that um, Sophia Smith, in particular, we've talked at length about her all season long, her greatness. Uh, she, the youngest Denver MVP in NWSL history that was announced uh, a couple days before the, the game itself. Uh, she shows up, makes a big play and, you know, in, in the mold of somebody like Michael Jordan uh, gives the shrug. Right. And so, so she was asked about that right. after the game. She's like, you know, an iconic yeah, really moment. an iconic moment for, for her and for, for the Thorns generally. I mean, she, she was asked about it and said that, you know, people had doubted her, deserving MVP Uh, she sees the online chatter she knows that people that are Alex Morgan stands or that think that there were other individuals who deserve the award more than self they're out there you know talking their talk but um, that just motivates unbelievable competitors like Sophia Smith right and so that that's what the shrug is for and she's just uh, she's just going to continue to dominate this league for years to come however long the thorns can keep her in it
1: and and the first half in particular, I thought was one of her best halves of the season. Not only the goal, which was which was a well taken goal. I mean, that's a go- that's a goal that you'd expect Sophia Smith to score most of the time, uh, because she was put through pretty nicely uh, with a nice ball from from Yasmin Ryan. Uh, but she did a really good job uh, of navigating around Elizabeth Ball, uh, putting Ball in a pretty uncomfortable position uh, to 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 be able to 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 pick that up and then round 80 French. Uh, a, Quite a bit of thorn-on-thorn crime there Uh, in in that play, uh, given that both Ball and AD French, of course, are former thorns. Uh, So, you know, uh, quite a bit of thorn-on-thorn crime there uh, in in, in that moment. But otherwise, through the course of the first half, in which I thought the thorns were solid but not great, they especially weren't quite incisive enough uh, in, in the attacking half. There was probably at least another goal for them in that half if they'd been really sharp, and they weren't. Oh, they played well, though. You know, I mean, they, they were in pretty good control, say, for a few minutes toward toward the end of the first half. But Smith was a constant danger and was a constant problem for Kansas City. And I think that really was a big factor in keeping the current sort of on their heels in that first half. And then just over the course of the second half, sort of the thorns kind of rose into the game. And I mean, it almost sort of felt like a, a boa constrictor sort of just squeezing the game uh, just progressively over the course of the ninety minutes, and then in the second half, it was just it, it, it was it was going one direction, uh, not the not the band, <laughs> uh, the <laughs> going a, a single Sorry, direction Oh, <laughs> uh, listening, yeah,
0: yeah. Is, is that what they're <laughs> yeah, called? Yeah, I just i'm on i'm on the internet too much, man. I I know all those the yeah, stand group names and just everything else.
1: That, that that's true. That's true. But you know, a I I think Smith's work in that first half, though was really critical to sort of setting the tone uh for the the way the rest of the game went uh, and 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 put the thorns pretty firmly on top both in terms of the score but also just in terms of the way the game was progressing uh and so you know full full credit to her uh in in a big moment uh she's got sort of a quality that you don't see in athletes and i I'm, I'm you' do, you don't see in very many athletes but you see in some of the best athletes, LeBron James certainly has this. There, there are a handful of others where they sort of constantly have a chip on their shoulder, even when, even when like maybe there's not like a lot of really great reason for them to have the chip on their shoulder. I mean, it, it takes it takes some real, you know, it it takes like a really sort of extreme competitive drive to win the league MVP and come out of that thinking. I'm not getting respect. (laughs) I'm not getting the respect I deserve. And look, I mean, it's sort of one of those qualities that you only see in in extremely high level athletes. Uh, And it seems like Smith's got a bit of that. Uh, I I think James is, is is LeBron James is the one that immediately comes to mind for me. That guy feels slighted a lot, even though he's basically universally regarded as one of the two best basketball players of all time. The fact that he's not the best, universally regarded as the best basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan. Same thing. Uh, t- talking about those same folks, and I think that she sort of has that same kind of character, uh, and I think that's something that that sort when you sort of sit back and you're like, man, you look at, you know, the tools that she has, uh, the talent that she has. If she just has that sort of always, always fueled fire. That's gonna keep her working hard.
0: There's no ceiling here.
1: I mean, she she could be very. I mean, I I think there's no reason to think that she won't be among, if not the best player in the
0: world. Yeah, and and you know, Rian Wilkinson talked after the game about how she could be one of. She being Sophia Smith could be one of the best players that this country has ever produced, and that it's her job, it's Rian's job, and that of her. Coaches and, and the people in the organization to, in her words, make sure that that Sophia Smith is is the greatest player that this country has ever produced. Uh, for her to be achieving what she's already achieving at uh, at twenty two years old is is incredible. And and she's come onto the scene after you know her first year with the Thorns was really just kind of ingratiating into the to the professional club world, and then she just exploded into this you know immediate superstar, uh, in her sport. And, and it's, it's really exciting to, to watch her growth and to, to watch the maturity that she exhibits as well. Uh, at, you know, at the start of the year, she, she was, um, I, I think just trying to prove herself in a lot of ways and she proved herself. And and that created a level of confidence and maturity and, um, you know, being surrounded by, the people that she's surrounded by on this team really aided in that growth. You know, you think about Christine Sinclair as like the goat, a level-headed presence that can, you know, tamper maybe some of the the potential hot-headedness that would come with being a young star, right? She She's the polar opposite of that. So she, I'm sure her guidance was helpful in, in Sophia's growth as, as a person and player. Um, Becky Sauerbrunn uh, Megan Klingenberg, all the, all these players. And then, you know, a lot of it was her. It was, it was what Soph achieved, how she, um, how she was raised, the people she's got around her. She, she's just, I, I think Portland is very lucky to have somebody like Sophia Smith in its, in its sports sphere. Um, I, I saw somebody post on Twitter that, you know, Portland really has Damian Lillard and Sophia Smith like there's not a lot of cities that can you know look at their superstar athletes and be proud of, of what they achieve and say Kyrie Irving <laughs> but uh you know the the <laughs> yeah. uh, the the fact that Portland has those two people um you know leading their their two most successful organizations uh is is really exciting and and I think something to to be reveled in, uh, you know, speaking to to the veteran leaders that I recently mentioned, I I filled out my MVP ballot on a on a little sheet of paper at the at Audi Field, no name on it or anything, just kind of scribbling.
1: Who who was your game MVP? Did you yes, vote for I voted Smith? for Smith. Smith like, like basically yeah, everybody. I, I, I
0: voted Smith one, and then you got you know your top three. Uh, numbered number who who were you number two to? was Becky Sauerbrunn. I thought that Becky held it down on the back line her her and megan klingenberg were both excellent uh i really liked what i saw out of yasmine ryan so i yeah
1: that's wrong but it's not okay bad. it's not a bad answer. i mean you know wrong.
0: you can disagree with me all you want uh we both watched the same <laughs> soccer game so we, we we may uh we may have differing opinions from said soccer game i i just you know her steadiness for, for was just so great and and KC was unable to produce anything. I thought that both Becky and Kling uh, were superb along the back line. He- Kelly Hubley was good, but her, her impact wasn't felt I think as greatly as, as somebody like Sauerbrunn uh, at center back. Yasmin Ryan was my third and I I'm thinking that might be who you would pick as, as your second.
1: I thought, I thought Ryan was, was good. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I've questioned Ryan's inclusion uh, sort of down the stretch in, in, the, in the team. Uh, and I think there were times when, when those questions were, were justifiable. She was pretty darn good in this game, though. Uh, and, and you understand why. It, it was really clear to see why Ryan Wilkinson has, has gone in that direction pretty consistently over the course of the last few weeks. Uh, and it's because of, of, of primarily just how honest a player she is there's no, she's not taken a single playoff uh on on the attacking side of the ball on the defending side of the ball she is always in the spots where you need her to be um and she ended up being a playmaker she's she's who hit the ball through uh to set up smith's first goal uh and she's the player who who sort of got sprung uh in, in down the right side to set up the second um so a really good performance for her. I don't want to take anything away from Yasmin Ryan. Probably her best performance of the season. Uh, good time to have that. Uh, I think Becky Sauerbrunn is, is, is a reasonable shout. I, th- I also thought Kling, uh, after having some rough games in, in sort of the, the stretch run, I agree with you that Kling was good. And frankly, I think you could probably go up and down the roster and say that everybody was, was good to great. Um, that's just the kind of performance it was. I mean, you don't have that level of dominance against, look, a team that's been good. This is a KC current team that the Thorns made look really pedestrian, but that just went to Lumen Field and beat OL Rain 2-0. Um, and OL Rain has been... Perhaps next to the North Carolina Courage, the hottest team in the league.
0: Yeah, they won the shield over the second yeah, half they, of the season. Yeah,
1: they won. They sort of came back to they win. They were the, the team
0: that I thought would have given Portland the the biggest run for its money in that championship game. Yeah, and, and, no, yeah, no San question. Diego was, I think, a, a better opponent than Kansas City, and and Portland did a great job to get past them. But to to have to f- potentially face Ol Reign in the championship game was something that. I'm sure Thorne's fans were a little worried about, you know, they, they love the rivalry. They, they love uh, Christine Sinclair in, in her speech announcing her coming back saying F Seattle. Uh, that was, that was something that, you know, got some raucous cheers. It's, it's great, great stuff, but that's it's a great. scary freaking team, man. That that was a, a team that was on a roll and has a lot of really strong players, has a lot of good depth. Some, they were the most comparable team to Portland. So um you know full right. credit goes to KC for being able to get past them and i think showcased KC's metal uh they didn't they didn't play and, a very good game yeah. in the championship though and and so they they appeared you know at times outclassed in that championship game even though i i really don't think they were i think they just had a rough one the thorns had an imperfect one but they were just better in every phase
1: and and i think the thorns made them have a rough one uh and 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 that's that I mean that's the overall point. This was not a pedestrian KC team. Uh, the Thorns made them look really pedestrian. Uh, and that was uh that was I mean cre- that's creditable to and an across the board really strong performance uh from the Thorns. I actually think the two that that would have gone on my ballot, you know, Ryan may have gone on my ballot. In fairness, uh, Yasmin Ryan may may have been your number
0: there. three. Maybe would would have been yes.
1: May have been okay. my number three. My number two. You didn't mention it all. Natalia Kweka was an absolute monster in this game. Yes, just an absolute monster. I, I mean, I, it, it basically whoever the KC Current were were sort of putting down that left side, and they tried to play down that left side. Yeah, that was
0: a big area, and,
1: and, and they 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 went after Kuika a lot, and it was just like, I, I mean, it was like the scene from Shrek. Where the, the the gingerbread man is, is being tortured, and he's like, "You're a monster!" Uh, like, like that's what Casey' current players were saying to Kuika all game <laughs> long. <laughs> it was it was just like, I mean, it, it, she it, she won every single individual battle, and she and and every time it looked like Casey was building something down that side, Kuika just absolutely snuffed it out every single time. Uh, and I thought that was an extraordinary, extraordinary performance from her. Uh, Jess McDonald, uh, actually, on Twitter, uh, sort of chimed in on this point. Like, yeah, nobody talks about her, but I really dislike playing. <laughs> it's Quica. Um, And and, 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 and she mentioned very much as a compliment of just like, that's just how good of a player she is. Uh, and that is just how good of a player she is. Yeah,
0: she's so gritty and, and she's tough. And, uh, you know, you talk about somebody who has had some rough stretches this season. She she had even some, some really rough moments in that San Diego game. She fully made up for any of those potential shortcomings in, in this game uh, against the current. Uh, I think that if you could point to one area with this Thorns team, they're so solid everywhere, top on down. But if you could point to one area that would have been a potential shortcoming, it would have been at the outside backs, right? Because, you know, Klingenberg is is a— phenomenal vocal leader and and a really mentally tough player and and physically tough player Uh, same for for cuica with the mental and physical toughness but in terms of consistency of play this year i think that's the the one position that could have potentially uh improved
1: and it's also frankly the position that casey is probably best suited to take advantage of with labonta being their best player over the course of the season she's a sort of a wide forward uh, has made a lot of hay from those those sorts of positions, and has frankly made a lot of fullbacks look pretty bad in this league uh, over the course of the season. There is no question who won that matchup <laughs> on uh, on Saturday. It was the Thorns fullbacks. Uh, Levanta had a very quiet game, uh, and that's you know I mean when you when you eliminate your opponent's best player uh, from the game like that, especially an opponent's best player that seems really well suited to take advantage of what might be your team's biggest vulnerability that's why a game ends up that way Uh, i also thought sam coffee was tremendous uh and and that's not a surprise it it, in many respects wasn't an extraordinary performance from sam coffee because performances like that are commonplace from her but it was nonetheless excellent uh and just because it wasn't out of the ordinary for her doesn't mean it wasn't excellent it was uh, and and I thought between, uh, you know, I mean, really, this is a, a game that I think the Thorns in many respects sort of won on the defensive side of the ball and they got excellent performances across the back line. They got excellent performances in defensive midfield. They got excellent performances from their attacking players coming back and defending. Uh, and then they had the the horsepower at the front to be able to get a couple goals out of it. You know, it was interesting. I, a lot of times, you sort of expect a championship game to to have a, a, a great amount of tension and sort of to have a an epic championship moment. This didn't really have that, and and it didn't really have that because of the quality of the performance from the Thorns. Uh, I thought Matt Potter's comment after the game uh, sort of summed that up, right? When when he was asked about it, he was kind of he was kind of just like, "Well, Portland showed why they're Portland," uh, and that shows the respect uh that the thorns uh and that this thorns team has across the league and i think that kind of sums up how from his perspective the game went uh where it was just a total team performance from the thorns uh and it was a team performance that that left no doubt about who the winner should be
0: no doubt and and i think that this was an opportunity for the thorns to really assert themselves as i think the class of the nwsl on the field you know something that um you know, it's early in the existence of NWSL, but um, the, the Thorns have talked about building a constellation of the stars on, on their logo. They're on their way. They're, they're on their way to doing that. I mean, three in 10 years is no small feat, given given the parity in this league, given the, the widespread talent that exists. This was probably the hardest year to win the championship in the history of NWSL. You know, and, and we're speaking a lot in in, you know, grand terms about this season, but, but I think it's valid. I I think that uh, this was a a difficult and tight knit table to, to ascend throughout the year. I I don't think that, you know, there were a lot of teams that, that were on the same level as, as the Thorns. I think the Thorns would have liked their odds in in pretty much every playoff matchup save for, for OL rain. But even still there, I mean, there was only a point or two separating this KC team from this Portland team, a few things go the other way here and there. And this Kansas city team, which we are talking about being outclassed on the field uh, would have been the shield winners. Right. And, and so, you know, this is, I, I think a really difficult thing to achieve, even if, you know, the thorns had this major goal differential that made them look a lot better than everybody else. Even if, you know, you look at their roster up and down and say, Hey, this is undisputed, the most talented team in the league they 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 still achieved something hard.
1: I'm I'm still not sure that's true. Everybody always says that. <laughs> yeah and and I think the Thorns roster is very good. I think the Thorns roster uh, especially if you were looking at it, you know, at the beginning of of last season, you would say that's yeah, that's that's a top half of the league roster to be sure. But I think there would have been a lot of room for argument about where in that top half of the league that roster stacked up. Because there were a lot of questions, right? I mean, Sophia Smith in two thousand twenty-one wasn't what Sophia Smith in two thousand twenty-two was, right? Uh, Sam Coffey obviously was a total unknown, uh, ended up being one of the better players in the league over the course of the season. Uh, y- you know, I-, I think you you looked at the Thorns back line and you probably liked it quite a lot, but basically everything in front of that, there were real questions about. And by the way, Becky Sauerbrunn came into the season injured. Uh, Crystal Dunn obviously uh, was <laughs> came into the season. Uh, with Marcel not yet born, for goodness sake. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think there there were a reasonable number of questions about the Thorns roster. And so I, I guess I feel like it's a little bit of a cop-out sometimes just to say, well, this was the best roster in the league. Because it only became that because of the work they did over the course of the year. This isn't a team that that you would have looked at or that I think people would have fairly looked at back in March and said, This season is a ride into Paris for this crowd, for this team. That is the best team uh, in in the league. And if they don't win, we'll be surprised. Not by any stretch of the imagination, frankly. And I I think I may have said this on on an early podcast or something like that. Look, coming into the season, I thought this was a team that the likely path was that it was going to be in a battle to be sort of around the middle or upper upper third of the table and then the question was going to be how much better at the end of the year they were than at the beginning of the year. They, compl- I've said this a bunch, but they've completely rebuilt their midfield. Yes. I mean, the 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 number two vote-getter for last year's MVP, Angela Salem, gone. Lindsey Horan, uh, an in-pin starter for the U.S. Women's National Team in Central Midfield, gone. How many teams can lose... Players like that. Players as important as that in the most important part of the field. And I'm like, you know, I'm sort of a ride or die, like midfield drives all uh, soccer traditionalist. But how many players lose the two best players from their midfield from a three player midfield and then just run it back the next season Are like, yeah we are still the champions. <laughs> like we won the shield last year and we're going to win. We're we're going to win the title this year. That's how it's going to go. I don't think that happens very often. And I don't think you can just chalk that up to this was, you know, a matter of elite talent. I, I think it's a matter of having good talent on the roster uh, and, and a lot of players who did a ton of work and, a, and, and, and a coaching staff that did a ton of good work to make this the best team in the league.
0: Right. And, you know, to, to for me to say, you know that they're the most talented roster. I don't think it comes from a place of inevitability of them coming into the year like that. I, I agree with you generally. I think that um, you know this is the team that that had a lot of questions at the start of the year. I mean, pe- people in the front office and elsewhere in the in the club that I spoke to were unsure. They were, they were like. They were more sure, hilariously, about the timbers than they they were about the thorns. Which you know, in retrospect, which one of those
1: teams is putting anything on the resume? This
0: yeah, week. yeah. It uh, they one team achieved shoot, the other did not. As one Chris Reifer might say,
1: that's exactly right. That's exactly what one Chris Reifer would say.
0: <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, they they really did you know develop into into this best roster in the league, I think. And and now. Coming off a championship, bringing pretty much everybody back a uh, few things to, to iron out in terms of the offseason. But, you know, one would expect pretty much this entire group to be back together next year. Uh, it It's scary. I think they're going to be better next year than they were this year.
1: And there's, there's a big other element to this, which is that Lindsey Horan's loan is set to expire next summer. And so, we've not talked about this. We've not heard about this. This has totally been off the radar. But as of now, as far as I understand, she's done in uh, in Lyon in May, and her contract will then revert to the Thorns, uh, because she's still under contract with with the Thorns. It was it was framed as a loan to, at at the start, and so as of right now, I you know who knows what's actually in the plans. But it is at very minimum a possibility that Lindsey Horan is going to walk through that door in June uh, or is going to walk through that door after the World Cup.
0: Eyeball emoji.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Which, okay, here we go. Now you're talking about a roster that has an air air of inevitability to it. Like if you add Lindsey Horan to to most of these pieces, now you're talking about something where you look at that roster and you're like, boy, I'm – not sure anybody's going to be able to compete with that
0: yeah that's like kevin durant to the 73 win warriors territory right like it you that's know, right the, the thorns were not a 73 win <laughs> Warriors. horan is less of, of a drama. luxury
1: player than kevin durant but
0: yes yeah, yeah no it, different sport <laughs> everything's completely different terrible metaphor whatever um you know it's it, it, it would be huge and and that's you know something that has not been talked about a lot and and you know but it will be it will be it, i will look into it as a as a, <laughs> as a person who is required by my job description to report on the thorns and timbers i will indeed continue to look into that information um so so yeah you know i overall thoughts as, as we wrap it up here on the, on the thorns discussion really uh, a historic season for this team they overcame a lot and and they achieved greatness and, and i think it's one of the one of the most compelling sports stories of the last few years, really. And it, it hasn't gotten, I think, the attention in, in the sports media generally that it deserves, but I think it'll age very well. And and I think that this group has a lot to say about what they overcame and will continue to have to overcome because these issues are not going away. There's still another investigation to be released probably later this month from uh, from the NWSL and its Players Association as far as the misconduct and abuses that exist throughout NWSL. This is still going to be a talking point. This is still something that the players are going to have to not only deal with personally uh with their own traumas but address in in the media and elsewhere. Um and and it's going to be tough. And and so navigating these next few months, keeping this group together on the field is big. But keep keeping that joy alive, keeping that focus going into next year trying to repeat uh christine sinclair coming back for another season said that she's never repeated she wants to do that this could potentially be her final season but i'm not writing her off by any means don't, for another don't you year. love that
1: by the way yes. don't you love christine sinclair who like if there's anybody in the soccer world who could claim to sort of be like i've done it all right yeah <laughs> like, like i'm, I'm good I, i've checked a lot of the boxes <laughs> <laughs> like i've done it all she's still like finding a thing where she's like you know I,
0: can't, I haven't quite done this. Let me see if I can run it back and 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 do that.
1: That's awesome, yeah, that's amazing. She,
0: I mean, for her to have those things that she wants to still do right I mean she wrote in her book, and I had a chance to to read her book Playing the Long Game, which is available now, and I thought was a, a compelling read from somebody who's a real straight shooter and and you know isn't gonna tell these major emotional shocking stories, but it's gonna tell you what happened and how it happened and the full process as is. Perfect for her personality. Uh, she she wrote in that book that she wants to try p- potentially playing a year for the club and not for the national team. That that could be this year. That could be after the World Cup is over. I, I could see it being a, a scenario. Um, and and I think it's inevitable at this point that she competes in the World Cup for Canada. Sure. Um, yeah, as her final World Cup, I believe her sixth World Cup nuts literally been in World (laughs) Cups since I was like six years old but it's fine Um, two and a half
1: decades worth of World Cups absolutely that's that's amazing (laughs)
0: absolutely nuts Um, and and after that I you know if she wants to do that maybe she you know transitions to more of like a spot bench role uh, for for 2024 kind of wild to imagine Christine Sinclair as long as she's been playing playing in 2024 but she also talked in her interview with Karina LeBlanc who by the way, like really been utilized as kind of this media personality by the team in addition to her integral role as GM. And she shines in it, obviously, because her personality is perfect for it. Um, Christine Sinclair sat down in an interview with Karina LeBlanc and uh, talked about wanting to, to move into like a front office type role when she retires and that would be absolutely perfect. What a great soccer mind to potentially have on your staff. I mean, imagine a Thorns front office led by Karina LeBlanc and Christine Sinclair. You
1: could you could fill out an entire front office with the Thorns' current playing roster.
0: Sauerbrunn, as you mentioned before, is another yeah. one. Yeah,
1: I mean, any number of others. You, you could fill out uh, a remarkable front office with the Thorns' current playing roster. I do think we'd be remiss if we don't step back a little bit from the Thorns. And talk about the championship game from a an NWSL and women's soccer perspective. Uh, because I think it was a a pretty remarkable and a, a pretty remarkable moment, not insofar as it was sort of a sea change kind of moment in its own right, but I think it's more of a how far we've come kind of moment. Uh, this is a an NWSL championship game between Portland and Kansas City. Not exactly like the biggest markets in the country. <laughs> uh that drew almost a million live viewers uh on on TV. Uh stacking up favorably against a lot of MLS cops. Uh and uh that ha- that was played a- in Washington DC again, a game between Kansas City and Portland played in Washington DC that had a mostly full house. A a mostly full stands That was, from my estimation, it looked to me to be at least 90% neutrals. Uh, It it was not just filled with thorns and and Kansas City fans, for obvious reasons. Long trip for both teams on very little notice. But it was nonetheless a big enough event in its own right to be a pretty darn full house. Uh, That's not always been the case with the NWSL Championship. I mean, for goodness sake, that's not always been the case when they had neutral set MLS Cups. Um, and, uh, I, I think when you step back and look at this game and then when you step back and look at some of the numbers from NWSL this year, up 39%, I think in, in viewership, uh, that you can sort of keep going down the list and ticking off numbers like that. Uh, this is, this is a real moment and it's something that I don't think you can ignore. I don't think it's something that advertisers, and sponsors can ignore. I don't think it's something that media outlets can ignore. Uh, and y- it's when you're looking across the pond and you're seeing still lowball offers for viewers, for media rights to the Women's World Cup. I think it's something where you've got to sort of tap the sign and say, hey, this is a different moment. There, There is serious juice behind NWSL now. There is serious juice behind women's soccer. You can't continue to lowball the players. You can't continue to uh, lowball meteorites. You can't continue to do the things that they've done over the course of the last however many decades. Because it's just unjustifiable, right? <laughs> There's real juice behind it. There are real eyeballs. There are real fans. Uh, and a lot of times when things like this have happened in the past there have been good viewership numbers for a game or there's been good attendance for a game. People were always really eager to look for like, why is that happening? Like what was, what was the quirk that made that, that made that so? Um, and you know, I mean, there have been lots of things like that uh, over the course of the years, people trying to explain away the, the draw of women's soccer. There's no explaining that away. There were a lot of reasons why that could have been an empty stadium, right? There were a lot of reasons why that could have been a, a not particularly attractive uh, media slot, right? There were a lot of reasons that people could have not watched. It was Saturday night on the East Coast. It was kind of late. College football going on. Lots of other things happening. So the fact that this was a big event, notwithstanding all those factors, sort of just cuts off any ability to explain that away. You can't explain it away. And, and I think it is a, an indisputable example of how far the league has come and where the league is going, uh, and how far the sport has come and where the sport is going. Uh, and if you're still trying to treat this like it is sort of, you know, the past, you're going to be left in the past. Uh, so, you know, get on board. And frankly, I mean, (laughs) to, to sort of acknowledge the elephant in the room, if you're somebody who's looking to invest in women's soccer, I imagine those folks are falling all over themselves to get in now. Because if they wait a year, if they wait two years, if they wait five years, it's going to be a lot more expensive.
0: Yeah. And it, it's it's akin to that, that period uh, in Major League Soccer's growth where the people that got in when they did uh, are reaping some serious benefits right now. I, I think that. It's exciting to imagine what the NWSL is going to look like in 10 years. You know, um, maybe uh, after maybe a little time in Europe or something, maybe a a wily veteran Sophia Smith returns to the NWSL and it looks a lot different than, than it does now. I, I mean, it's inevitable to me that it's going to look a lot different than it does now. Uh, the fact that they were able to achieve what they did, with all the uphill factors that they were facing. And and one that I I think can't be ignored is, is there's some level of controversy that, that can turn even loyal fans off. There are people who, you know, with the trauma they've been through, they can't really stomach watching the games period. And, and despite that, despite all the other societal factors that are, that are, you know, causing, women's sports to, to bump into this potential and, wall and, and
1: frankly malpractice and misconduct by a yes. lot of people who have been involved in the sport
0: yes that as well you know that it's integral to it um i, I think they've achieved something really important and they've laid the groundwork for a, a league that once it gets to its 20th year uh when you know maybe we're still doing this podcast who knows but uh <laughs> what will podcasts be a thing will they be beamed into your brain uh with elon musk's like you know what's the it's thing a, he has that is pretty, an
1: extremely dystopian future yeah this, this took this took an, a 180 turn from a really optimistic let's let's talk about uh about what this indicates for the future of nwsl and women's soccer to uh to like the an elon musk uh you know driven hexscape.
0: yeah i thought that I, I was gonna make it through the podcast without mentioning elon musk's name but i <laughs> oh, just heavy sigh that's all i gotta say but you know, I, I guess it, it's a it's a fair enough transition because you know the the vibes are very good with the thorns. The vibes are a little uncertain as they are in life generally with the Portland tempers. But there there's some uh, some interesting things happening uh, in terms of off season moves. Silly season is upon us. Uh, you know, plenty of rumors swirling. But the biggest one and and the one that that has stuck and the one that I you know, in my reporting have, have confirmed is that the Timbers are in the process of trying to sign Evander from the Dutch super league team, FC Midland, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Mietland. Sure. Uh, I,
1: I, I've heard, albeit from British broadcasters. I think I've heard Michelin, Mitchell um,
0: like Michelin. Michelin
1: uh, I mean, man. yeah, sorry, sorry, is, is what the, the British broadcasters <laughs> said it as that said I mean, British broadcasters are known basically uniquely around the world for adopting their own pronunciations of basically any like any non-English word. Just butchering uh,
0: Spanish-speaking last names and first names too. The
1: Spanish language is undefeated against British people. Yeah, like absolutely undefeated.
0: <laughs> it's just confounding to to those folks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Evander is is really coming down the pike for for the Timbers. It's something that. Um, I could see getting done in the next several weeks if they can get it over the finish line. It'd be the highest highest dollar signing in history for the Timbers. Uh, that would eclipse Brian Fernandez, who was around the eleven million mark. Um, that's big. That's that's something that I had heard rumblings of a signing of this caliber over the last several months, but no names. And and this is potentially a big name. You you look at. Other players that have come from the, the Danish Super League, Hani Mukhtar uh, is is the MVP of MLS this season. He came in a similar path. Um, yeah, I think it might be a little too high of expectations to to say, oh, they played in the same league, therefore they're going to both have the same impact. I, I think it's exciting to bring a player like, like Evander in, and he could be somebody that breaks onto the scene in MLS like that. Interestingly, he was asked about it, and he already kind of has his eyes set on the next step, like you know- yeah m l s is a good good uh place to to transition to europe <laughs> is is like what he had talked about, which is kind of funny to think that you know he's got his eyes on the next thing even before the new thing happens, but either way, i mean what what are you gonna do about that i I think that having a player like that would be a major asset for Portland. It's not the only move that they intend to make. They have him as a number 10 uh, in in the works. Uh, they want to and are in the process of trying to sign a number nine. And they also want to add a center back to the mix. Those are the three major moves that I have heard from people in the organization and around it uh, that they want to make this offseason, despite the fact that it's Ned Grabovoy now making the decisions that previously were in the works uh, under Gavin Wilkinson the fact that Merritt Paulson whatever role he might have in it could be entirely different now that he's stepped down as CEO um a lot of uncertainty that could potentially impact these moves in terms of the organization but those are the three big ones and and plenty to to talk about ahead as as we look to this off season for the timbers
1: you know Evander the the only thing that i find surprising about the sort of profile uh of signing that that evander appears to be uh is i kind of expected the timbers to spend big money on a number 9 and then go with a sort of more moderately priced dp uh as as a playmaker of some sort whether it's a playmaker who starts on the wing or centrally um and and so i'm a little bit surprised not super surprised but a little bit surprised uh, that their highest dollar signing, and it looks like this is going to be their highest dollar signing, uh, is is coming at that playmaker role. And I also think it's it's a little bit notable, and this speaks to something that you talked about. I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, but you know, Evander is truly kind of an eight ten. He is really really well suited for the sort of most advanced player in the three man midfield that Gio Savarese likes to play. That's basically his primary position. Guess who else's primary position that is?
0: Eric Williamson.
1: It is Eric Williamson's primary position. And that's not to say that, that Williamson can't play other spots. Uh, he probably can play uh, and certainly can play as an eight. Maybe even there's a, a decent argument that he might be better suited uh, as, as a six than sort of a true eight. That position until further notice <laughs> that was occupied by Diego Chara. It's it's a uh, bit
0: <laughs> occupied, yes, by yeah. a, a guy who, you know, has not shown even a breath of slowing down.
1: Yeah, so until further notice that that position is is occupied by by Diego Chara. Uh and and I think between this signing and the really obvious uh turbulence is the word I'll choose. <laughs> Uh, in in the latter part of the year, with with, uh, with William between Williamson and Savarese, I think that very much suggests, and this the suggestion was very much confirmed by our good friend Tom Bogert, uh, that there's a real possibility that Williamson's not going to be with the team next year. And so, you know, uh, that I think all of those things are really notable, uh, and there are things that, frankly, we should be keeping an eye on over the course of the next few weeks. There's going to be a lo- after m l s cup which is as we record on friday tomorrow uh, there's going to be a decent amount of pretty quick moving and shaking uh within m l s uh, ahead of the world cup and ahead of some of the offseason moves that are going to be happening in 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 november and december and so keep an eye on on that i i think there's a uh you know tom Bogert came out with a piece uh in in which he had had sourced from uh from the timbers front office uh that sort of, I think, laid out a bit of a roadmap for the, for this offseason, although, although he, there was nothing nearly as definitive as saying that Williamson is definitely gone. If you read between the lines, uh, it looks like the plan is, if they can do it, to have sort of a high return trade of Williamson to bring in the allocation money that the Timbers are going to need to make a couple DP signings uh, and to do that, while, you know, still keeping folks like Sebastian Blanco uh, in the team. I think there's still a lot of uncertainty, certainly about Yaroslav Nishgoda, who I I, I think, given that the Tibbers are still saying they're going to sign a nine, it's hard to see how he's going to be back in 2023. And I think for good reason that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Uh, and, uh, and I think there are real questions about whether Jimmy Chara will continue in the team. Uh, Jimmy Chara is a full senior DP. He cannot be bought down. And if the Timbers are going to sign two other full senior DPs, they're going to need to part ways with Jimmy Chara. Uh, Because you can't have three full senior DPs while also having three under-22 players, as the Timbers have, of course, in David Hagella, uh, Santiago Moreno, and, uh, and, and Mosquera. And so, you know, I, I think there is quite a bit of uncertainty left still in how that all is going to play out. But candidly, it looks like, uh, at least in terms of how they're sort of charting out their plan A, it looks like trading Williamson and getting back you know, a significant amount of allocation money is a pretty indispensable part of their offseason plans. And I know people have varying opinions about that. Uh, I, I think lo- uh, losing Williamson would be a significant loss. I think he's a really, really good player. The, the Timbers have had... Uh, on a really really good sort of budget number and when he is fully plugged into the team and and i don't want to characterize that in a way in which i'm saying that it's that it's one person or another's fault because candidly i don't know uh what created the rift that was obviously there at, at at the end of the season but when he's fully plugged in to the team he you know i mean he's a guy who could be best 11 quality. And so that's a big loss. Uh, if the Timbers do lose him and, and it helps that they're going to be bringing in somebody with the reputation of, of an Evander who is very, very well regarded, but it's still a big loss uh, at a time when this is not a roster that looked like it was poised to be able to absorb losses like that. Uh, so I, I still think, you know what I, I use the, the, donald glover on community uh analogy a couple weeks ago in in sort of the job that ned grabovoy is is looking into uh in in and is looking at uh in this offseason and i still think that's that that's true even notwithstanding the fact that they look like they have this signing close to being completed
0: yeah for those who aren't meme you know meme knowledgeable that's walking into a room that's on fire do you think we
1: have a single listener who's not meme knowledgeable like the way oh, i yeah. talk is basically just a steady stream of memes no so trust me
0: like you know it, it's easy when we're online as much as we are to to think oh yeah everybody else has the same internet brain that i do there's some people listening to this podcast that have no idea what you're talking about right now in terms of that meme. And, and, you know, I, I think that it's important that we, uh, that we explain it a little bit. You know, it's, it's a guy with a pizza in his hand, walking, walking into a room, you know, nonchalantly. And, and the room is on fire. There's like crazy stuff going on around him. And all he was doing was carrying the pizza. So that's the metaphor for, for first, yeah, for cu- first,
1: first couple seasons of that show are worth watching. It kind of turns south. Uh, but first two or three seasons are, are pretty great. Haven't seen it. Community. Really? Nope. Okay, go. That's that's your assignment over the course of the Timbers and Thorns offseason. Go watch the first few seasons of Community. It's good stuff.
0: Maybe. We'll see. I got a lot of stuff I gotta watch. Uh, so, not to just <laughs> you're like I,
1: you're like I've been busy. Like my my streaming queue is pretty backed up.
0: My queue is so backed up. I gotta get out to the movie theater more often too. I I got out there yesterday. Snuck a uh, snuck a bunk sandwich cubano into into the theater at Regal Bridgeport. Uh, just put it in my sweatshirt, wow. and, you know it's that's, just, that
1: is old school, right? Yeah, there.
0: No, it was a, it was a serious that's like a nineteen 1990,
1: serious nineteen ninety five move, bringing in outside food to a movie theater. That's been cut off by the fact that some movie theaters, at least, have really like upgraded their uh their food offerings uh, over the course of the last decade or so yeah, but it's so but that's like that's old expensive. school man
0: yeah i know it's it's old school and i'll continue to do it i, I saw some people in my <laughs> my replies that said yeah i brought a bottle of wine into the theater and then like i popped the cork and everybody laughed i was like that's hilarious i love that it's... movie theater food and drinks are too expensive you shouldn't be paying like seven dollars for a water come on people
1: that's true but i still think that's the movie theater equ- equivalent of like the guy who's at the the sports game, like with his headphones on, listening to the radio broadcast at the same time. <laughs> like, they, like for movies, you are that person.
0: Yeah, it's like uh, it's like the Blazer fans that would go to the game and have Bill Shanley in, right. in in their ear. Uh, you that's know right. that that that's the vibe.
1: And look, like Bill Shanley basically raised me. That, that, that's that that's probably not wow. flattering to my parents. My parents raised me, but like okay. I was I was brought up on <laughs> Bill Shanley on the Shans. Uh, and even then, I was never the the you know have the Shauns in the ear at the game kind of person.
0: Yeah, I guess that's more more potentially like your parents' generation of of Blazer fans who would go to the games in the
1: or or your the... generation of movie goers.
0: Yes, there you go. I saw Triangle of Sadness. That was the movie I saw. I won oh. the the Palme d'Or at can. Uh, very compelling, hilarious movie. Uh, you know, timely for sure in terms of Tri- the, the triangle of sa- it the
1: it, the the name also sounds like uh could be the name of, of a documentary about the timbers 2020 <laughs> triangle of sadness is
0: the is the triangle of sadness just the attacking midfield for for the Portland? <laughs> yeah, Portland that's that,
1: that, that that's not altogether wrong but yeah,
0: yeah. N- at the top of the the triangle and then maybe chara in the bottom left and then <laughs> i don't know that i think I don't know if you can make a triangle. I think it's... it's. I, I
1: Look, I mean, give me a little bit of off-air time, and I'm pretty sure I could come up with a pretty compelling triangle metaphor uh, for the sadness in the, in the Timbers 2022 season.
0: You noodle on that for a while. Uh, oh, well, I will. I got I, at least a week. <laughs> at least. Uh, well, that'll wrap it up for us for this week, though, on Soccer Made in Portland. We appreciate y'all listening throughout the season. Uh, it was a, a fun time. For us to, to discuss the the timbers and thorns, despite the um, obvious, very tough stuff to talk about uh, that that swirled around this year. Either way, though, uh, from a soccer standpoint, um, it's it's been a treat to to discuss these these things with you. And we will continue to, to pod throughout the off season. Maybe not as frequently as we have been during the uh, regular season. We'll we'll fit some in though to discuss the. The big signings, the big news, uh, everything that pops up throughout the the it's not the summer, the winter <laughs> for, for the uh, for the Timbers and Thorns. It's
1: summer somewhere, man.
0: Yeah, not. Here, I mean, mo-
1: mostly in the southern hemisphere, but yeah, like it's, somewhere
0: it's summer. <laughs> it's 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 pretty cold here, pretty wet. It's been raining a lot.
1: That's yeah. It was summer here like two weeks ago. It was no, summer like, here we're on like full was, on winter.
0: It was summer here just to fit a little weather in here. Uh, it was summer here uh, into like, mid-October, and then, boom, we just get hit with it.
1: This is the true off-season transition. We, this is when we transition full-time from Soccer Made in Portland to Weather Made in Portland. So uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the weather.
0: More weather next week. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Made in PDX leave us a review if you want uh we've been getting some some fun reviews lately uh, including one from from uh, a co-worker of my girlfriend's whitley who writes that she she wants to see more of emma on the podcast my girlfriend emma uh hasn't made an appearance on the podcast yet but uh the they, the people are demanding that we talk more about emma knight so shout out to emma knight love her <laughs> she's the best she has made this season of work for me all the more possible. So, thank you to her, and thank you to everybody else who's a consistent listener of this podcast. I uh, will be back as soon as we can. Thanks.